You're listening to the Pastor's Chat Podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Dadeville. Welcome. This is episode 12 of the Pastor's Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Forrest Jones. I am Zach Brown, believe it or not. And welcome back, Zach. I am Ben Hayes, the pastor of First Baptist Church, Dadeville, Alabama. Uh, I guess last week I was getting that uh, the, the forest Sunday school treatment, you know, about four octaves higher. That's right. That's but, we, right. but we didn't hang you upside down, so you didn't get the whole experience. <laughs> we are glad to have you back, Zach, um, and glad to see you're healthy. So, Brother Ben, will you uh, get us caught up on what you talked about yesterday? Yeah, we are uh, finishing up our uh, series on spiritual warfare, and, and I sort of took a little change in direction because this battle that we're fighting is is for a purpose. Um, we're, we're fighting this battle on our knees against the principalities and powers of this dark world so that we can face the, the future with the faith that, that God has called us to. And we, we talked, we've been talking about Proverbs 29, 18 that says, where there's no vision, the people perish. And the way that uh, the, the Hebrew really translates is that where there's no divine revelation, the people cast off all restraint. They just reject all boundaries, all, all sorts of, of um, uh, rules and regulations, and especially the ones that God put down. And uh, I wanted to look at a passage of Scripture in First Kings eighteen, that that really defined this, it, it it a great picture of exactly what we're talking about. Because if you remember what happened when um, King Solomon died, and and the the kingdom split from the northern kingdom, the ten tribes went north, and the two tribes went south, and Jeroboam became the king of the ten tribes to the north. They were called Israel, and he immediately decided that one of the great risks to his people would be for them to return to Jerusalem every year to worship in the, the temple. So he created his own religion, basically. He um, set up golden calves. He hired his own priest, and the people would, would worship there, and it became a, 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 an idol worship, a pagan worship that then moved them into worshiping Baal, the Canaanite fertility gods, and uh, Asherah, the, the female version of that. And uh, the people just turned more and more wicked. They turned away from God, rejected him completely. And by the time we get to 1 Kings 18, it is so bad that God has sent Elijah to, to Ahab to warn the people, to give them a chance, really, because that's what he does. He uh, he told them that uh, there'd be no rain for three years. And uh, Israel being an agricultural society, that really was a death sentence. Three years with no pro- uh, rain would be no crops, no survival. And so the situation got pretty bad at the end of those three years. But when Elijah comes back, he comes with a purpose. And, and that purpose is to demonstrate to the people that God truly is the Lord, that Yahweh is the, the Lord God Almighty. <clears throat> and so what I wanted to look at was a story of, of Elijah on Mount Carmel with the uh, prophets of Baal. And he gave them uh, the, the opportunity to prove the existence of Baal, to prove that, that Baal was God. And so they did their thing with all of the rituals and uh, dancing and cutting themselves and shouting and screaming and everything they could to attract their God to, to move. And the rule was this, that who, who's ever God answered from heaven with fire on the altar would be the God that that Israel would serve. Well, after they had gone all day long uh, and nothing had happened, Elijah said, okay, now it's my turn. And so he um, took the altar, he repaired it, he put the sacrifice on it, uh, covered it with uh, water three times until water filled a trench around the, the, the altar. And then he simply prayed a prayer. And that was the focus of, of the, the message yesterday. And I'll, I'll just read the prayer to, today to refresh your memory. But he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their, back, their hearts back to you again. Now, here's the thing. In this prayer, if we're going to bring this up to to the 21st century church, then we have to understand that the church, that believers are Elijah, 
we're the ones who are asking God to open the eyes of the people that they might see that He truly is the Lord. That that they would uh, that their hearts would be turned to Him again. And I guess that's uh, one of the dangers when you start uh, using uh, stories from even from the Bible as analogies is that people try to make them exact. Uh, uh, equivalents, and, and sometimes you can't do that. So we're talking about the people of Israel who had rejected God, and uh, basically that's what we're talking about here today, the people of America who have rejected God, the people who are in our uh, churches that have rejected God, the people who are in our families that have rejected God. And it's our responsibility to pray and and to do everything we can to show them that, that, that God really is uh, the Lord. And that's what Elijah did. He, he made every uh, effort to do this. And, of course, uh, the story of the Bible goes that uh, God answered from heaven, fire came down, burned up the water, burned up the sacrifice, burned up the wood, even burned up the stones completely. And the people, of course, fall down on their faces, and they, they declare that Yahweh is the Lord. And the prophets of Baal are, are put to death. Um, and all of that is the, the spiritual warfare aspect of this message. But the key to that is the purpose, because what Elijah prayed, what his desire was, two things that that I wanted to focus on. One, that the people would know that God is the Lord, and two, that they would know that he had turned their hearts back to him again. And, And that is key. We need to understand that this is not something that we can do on our own. This is something that, that God does in our hearts. He, he, he calls us back to him, and that's what he does every time when judgment is coming. He calls his people back to him. He calls those people who are outside of a relationship with him to come into a relationship with him, and he is the one who initiates that call. He is the one who, who gives that invitation, and we're the ones who have to respond and that's that's my heart's desire for our church. That's what I want for for my 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 family. That's what I want for our nation is that we would once again be turned to God. And I gave four challenges yesterday, which I think we we want to to break down a little bit today. And I'll finish up my summary with this. And here are the four challengers challenges. We we need to live as visionaries and not victims. Not only do we need to see God but we need to see, have that divine revelation of who he is and what he wants from us so that we'll no longer cast off restraint and we'll serve him and do what he's called us to do. And, and you know, the truth of the matter is that, that every believer who comes to the cross knows this. We have the power of God that enables us to overcome every obstacle, every circumstance in our lives. And we need to be sharing that with the lost of this world because they need to understand that they're not victims if they choose not to be. They can overcome just like we have. Second, we need to maintain an outward focus and not inward. This is where a lot of churches get in trouble. They start uh, seeing that the, their main priority is to take care of the, the the flock inside the church. All of their resources, all of their time, all of their energy is focused on meeting the needs of the people, whatever they may be. And those are the churches that turn into pretty much um, social clubs. I mean, that's all they do. That's all they're interested in. They, they don't care about outreach. They don't care about ministry to others. It's all about us. And the truth of the Bible is that it's not about us at all. And third challenge is we need to make eternal investments and not temporary. What, what breaks my heart is that we look around us and we see groups that are not Christian who are doing a better job of indoctrinating their children in, in what they believe than, than we are. Uh, I can give you three quick examples, and, and you may take offense at some of this, but uh, I don't mean it to be offensive. I'm just using this as an example. Um, the Jewish culture, they those who are Orthodox spend an inordinate amount of times teaching their children, their their sons, the Scripture. Um, in Bible days and even today, the Orthodox Jews make sure that their their sons can quote Scripture, the first five books of the, the, the Bible, memorized completely. They learn the doctrines of the Jewish faith. The Muslim faith, their, uh, their sons are taught Scripture. They memorize large portions of the Koran. It is uh, driven into them day after day after day. And uh, that's how so many of them become radicalized as they study the Quran. And then even the Mormons, 
And a lot of people say, well, Mormons are Christians too. Well, we could debate that for for a long time. But they spend time training up their kids, sending them out to do the work that we are called to do. And their their kids, when they get to college age, they gladly go out and, and do their mission and serve. And uh, whatever you think about them, they are committed to doing what their religion tells them to do. We need to be doing that with our kids. We need to be training them up in such a way that they will boldly share their faith in in spite of the, the rising tide of culturalism that is is trying to destroy them and push them back in the opposite direction. And then finally, the, the fourth challenge is that we need to exhibit faith and not fear. We've got to stop walking by, by sight and start walking by faith. We need to, to trust the fact that God has promised us that where he guides us, He's going to provide us. Now, the key to that is we need to make sure we catch his vision for whatever the ministry of the church is going to be. We need to understand this is what he is calling us to do. And then no matter what it takes to do that, if it takes a billion dollars, he'll provide a billion dollars. If it takes a fleet of buses, he'll provide a fleet of buses. We just need to be prepared that whatever he says to us to do, that's what we need to do. And that's what what I want us to do is to, to look to the future with faith, trusting that God is going to take care of us. Yeah, that story about Elijah, I, I love um, it's back in verse 21. And it says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. I just think that's unfortunately still very true to this day yeah. that we you know we we spend a lot of time trying to hedge our bets or something you know that people view or yeah and and I've actually heard people literally say like oh well you know I grew up this and now I'm that so I figure I'm covered either way like mm. th- this is not a multiple choice exam there is no all the above yeah. um you know, and that's kind of a popular thing in our world today where people say, like, well, just all roads lead to heaven as long as you believe something. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think people miss in, in that passage in Revelation 3 where Jesus is writing the letter to the church of Laodicea, and he, he says, I would rather you be cold or hot, but you're lukewarm, so I vomit you out of my mouth. I think, I think God has more respect for somebody who is sold out to Satan than a lukewarm Christian. Now, I know that is a big statement, but but I just have to believe that there's more respect for those who have said, no, I'm not interested, I'm not going your direction, than somebody who's playing games with God, who's just pretending, who's walking uh, uh, a tightrope trying to live in both the world and in, 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 uh, the, the Christian life. And uh, quite frankly, if it's hard for me to respect somebody like that too. Yeah, no, we, we had a discussion last night. Um, the young adult small group is going through a book called The Unsaved Christian, which is all about this kind of cultural Christianity um, and that idea yeah, that the people that are, they would say, I'm a Christian. They might show up to church every once in a while, but in fact, their life is not, they don't have a relationship with Christ. And they're just kind of going with that. Well, as long as I check in every once in a while, I'll be fine. I can do whatever I want with my life. Uh, and we were talking about the fact that, you know, you have these church planners and things that go to places. Uh, San Francisco is an example that comes to mind where yeah. you kind of know that there are some, there's a lot of forces out there that are actively opposed to the church. Um, and so you hear about church planners going someplace like that and people here, in, especially in, you know, we're, we're Alabama, we're like the buckle of the Bible belt. You know, they would say, oh man, I just... Oh, brother, you're going out there. I, I'm worried about you, or you know, I'm, I'm praying for it because you're going to such a, a dark mm-hmm. place. And and when we we had this discussion last night about the fact that in some ways, that kind of territory is better than being here, where we have a church on every corner and everybody says, "Well, I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Well, I'm from Alabama. I mean, come on, I, I drink Coca Cola and I, I'm a Christian. That's all. That just goes hand in hand." Um, you know, I think in this story, while we may at first glance not think about cultural Christianity, I think about the fact that, you know, we have these prophets of Baal, that, you know, we, the priest of Baal, they're out there. Um, 
And, and yes, I'll admit this is one of my favorite stories just because of how sarcastic and like, uh, <laughs> I mean, just the, the remarks, you know, I mean, Elijah gets it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When he's maybe yell louder, maybe cut yourself a little more. Maybe your God's on the body. You know I mean? <laughs> like, that's the new translation. Um, you see that, and you see, you know, and at the end, God shows up awesomely, and then all the the priests get wiped out, and you're like, okay, that's awesome. The bad guys got what they deserved. But you brought up a minute ago that God gives them a second chance. He's giving the people a chance to turn, and because what we've got to realize is, every one of these people also deserved that death. Yeah, like, right. all of these people that are just playing both sides. When we really look at it, what did they deserve? They deserved punishment for the fact that they had abandoned God and chased after Baal just as much as the priest did. Um, and yet God is a merciful God. Yeah. He did all of this to give them another shot to get right. Um, and God is that same God today. He has not changed. Uh, and so we sometimes forget and we think, oh, I've always got tomorrow to get right or, you know, I'll just kind of hedge my bets, and if I go to church every once in a while, it's fine, whatever. But um, God, in the same way, is still calling out for us now to repent and turn back to Him. Well, if if <laughs> if you think about it, we're living we're living in some some crazy times right now. Um, you just honestly, I, I've been doing this for now thirty nine years, and I cannot remember a time where we have gone through anything that that even comes close to what we're experiencing in the church uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, here we were five months ago. Uh, our church was was averaging 210, 215 in Sunday school. Every Sunday morning, that many people were meeting on campus to study the Word of God and to, to build relationships and be encouraged to go out into the world and, and make disciples. We had 265, 270 coming to two worship services where we were praising God and, and worshiping and people were getting saved and lives were being changed. And now all of a sudden, like yesterday, uh, I'm not sure what the official count was, but I'm, I'm estimating we may have had 80 people in three worship services here on campus. Now, our, our online numbers were up, and, and that I praise the Lord for that. And I, I believe that... that uh, that we've got to be careful, we've got to be smart, and for those who are, are uh, susceptible to this virus, they need to stay home. We, we don't want to do anything that will, will make anyone sick. But I look out in our congregation yesterday morning, and I see one of the most precious women in the entire world, Miss Martha Faye Black, sitting there. If anybody had an excuse not to be at church, it's Martha Faye. I mean, you think about what she's gone through, what she's going through. And there she was. I think about uh, Doug Patterson, who is going through chemo treatments right now. And he was at the men's Bible study on Wednesday. He's having a rough time of, of with these treatments now, but he was there. And, and I think, you know, we're living in a time where we have an extra excuse to not be in church. Now, I want, I want to be careful here for anybody who's listening to me. And you're staying home because you, you're susceptible to, to COVID-19. I'm not judging you because I am thankful that you are watching. I'm thankful that you're listening, and I'm thankful that you're doing the right thing for you. But what concerns me is we've got a host of able-bodied, well people who are doing everything else, going to the grocery store, going to the restaurants, going and gathering in groups, but using this as an excuse not to be a part of the most important thing that we do as a church, and that concerns me. I think that's one of the things that that I've seen that we've. I mean, we've had a lot of conversations about this just around the office. I know, like Hannah and I have been having it at our house, and I'm sure y'all have probably had these too. This kind of what quarantine has been showing us about kind of our health personally, as we all look at, you know, what is important to us. Really breaking down, you know. What are we going to do? What are we not going to do? Why do we do what we do? That kind of those kind of questions, because you know, Forrest, like you said earlier, too often people just associate being a Christian as I come to church, and that's the extent of it. I grew up a Baptist, so I'm a Christian, that kind of thing. Um, but when we really are kind of put to the fire and put to this grindstone right now, we really start to see kind of where are 
our heart is and, and where our passion is. Um, and, and I fear that, that too often what's being revealed to us is that ultimately God it may or may not be on our throne as much as we think he is. Yeah, um, I, I, I feel like, like sometimes we, we think that, you know, maybe God is on a throne. Like he, he's up there on our list. But at the end of the day, when things need, need, need cutting, he's going to be one of the things that we cut. And, and that's evident by, by right now and what we're seeing, like, like you just mentioned, Brother Ben. I mean, how, how often do we sit here and have these conversations about church and Walmart and they sound like the same kind of conversation? Like, you know, well, I don't really want to have to go and be around the people, but I really need milk, so I'm going to go to Walmart. How often do we have that conversation and say, well, I really don't want to be around people. Eh, I'll just watch online this week. I, 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 don't, I don't have to go. Like Showing that are we really as concerned with our spiritual walk as we think we are? And if so, or, and if we're not, then how can we be using this as kind of a mirror to look at ourselves and say, you know, how are we really doing? With, with our commitment to our personal walk, our commitment to our, to our church service, our commitment to discipleship. Because my question would be, you know, if you are asking those questions and, and if you are truly within yourself thinking, I am staying home because it is what is best for me because I have these medical issues that I have to, to, to be mindful of. That is great. But at the same time, how many times are we looking for excuses for why we get to not go to church rather than why are we not able to go to church right now? Yeah. Excellent point. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is that idea of we start looking at our life and realize the things that are really important to us and listening to this conversation. I'm sure some of you are picturing people in another camp and going, Oh, well, of course like, but this could be either way. This could be, I prioritize safety or the perception of safety so high that I'm willing to, you know, to say, well, church is pretty low on the priority list when I compare it to this ultimate idea of I'm going to be perfectly safe. Well, that can be an idol. That can be something that you are kind of clinging to. The flip side is liberty can be the same way. And we are very good at being American, red-blooded, you know, nobody gets to tell me what to do. And so, that also could be you. You could be saying, I'm not worried about this, but by golly, nobody's going to tell me I have to wear a mask or nobody's going to tell me I have to jump through hoops to go to church. I'm just not going to go. That's going to be my form of kind of protest. And both part, you know, not parties, but both groups can kind of be looking at church in the middle as this kind of negotiable item that it shouldn't be. And we're kind of prioritizing these other things, whether that be, an idea of safety. Again, I, I agree. Safety is important. I'm not saying it's not, but we can make it such an ideal that we say until everything is a hundred percent perfectly safe, I'll never go back. Well, there's never going to be that. That's right. I mean, we could six months ago before COVID happened, a truck could wreck into the front of the church and all sorts of bad things could happen. I mean, there's, any number of things could happen that we're never guaranteed to be safe. Um, and then we, we start thinking about it. And, and again, going back to that book discussion last night, it was all about kind of how we have Americanized the church mm-hmm. and how that, that bleed over can be dangerous. And it, it talked about if you start looking at your church versus the global church, you know, what things are really essential for your church. And I just think about it and say, you know, if we, if you sat down with a believer in a country that is being oppressed, really being oppressed, and you kind of told them your logic, would they, would they understand it all? I mean, like, but we look at it and say, and I, I get the slippery slope argument. I understand, but you know, we look at some of the things that are going on where the governor of Alabama says we need to wear a mask. And we start equating that to, you know, government oppression. And then you look at like Hong Kong yeah. or China where they're legitimately 
knocking down the doors of churches and hauling believers out and throwing them in prison camps because they're believers. Yeah. You know, I think if we really think about it, we'd realize, yeah, we're not there, you know. Yeah. And, and the spiritual side of that is, as well, I, I've got several friends who, who uh, go into countries where um, Christianity is not welcome, and, and they go for the purpose of evangelizing, and that's, that's what God's called them to do. And they tell me over and over again that they have more liberty in the Spirit to proclaim the gospel in those countries than they feel here in the United States of America. One man told me one time, he said, when I was coming back from Cuba and, and I got to um, the United States, he said the, the, the oppression that hit me, he said it was like a, a, a wall that just hit me at that point. And, and it's there um, because we have become so secularized, not just in our nation, but in our church. And that's where the problem lies. And I do want to to kind of preface this to, to people out there, knowing that we are all pastors, we are on staff at this church, and, and you may be thinking that, that we have some of these views and some of these beliefs, maybe for, for selfish reasons, but, you know, because obviously we would be at church on Sunday because, well, you pay us to be here on Sunday, right? So clearly we would be saying this, but you know, you're not getting paid to be here. So why would you risk yourself, you know, and your health being here? But, but, but I know speaking personally last week, you know, I was, I was out cause I was sick and, and I wasn't at church either. And that was the first Sunday in years that, that I just like was not there while the body was meeting. You know, I mean, there, there were times like when we were you know, stay-at-home order, you know, Easter Sunday when, when the storms were coming through and everybody was was doing things from home, even even we weren't here. Um, apart from that, that was really the first time that Hannah and I have spent a Sunday away from the gathering body. And it really was internally inside of us. It was tough. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it wasn't because well, I've got a job to go and, and be there. It was because I, we really had a desire to be there in the gathering. And it's it. so it's not so much just, like I said, kind of a disclaimer. We're not sitting here harping on people as people who don't understand it because, you know, we're on staff to be here. But rather, we are people who are, you know, a group of guys who are on staff because— of a love that we have for the church and for the people of the church that that we feel like God has has brought us to be a part of. And because we we have such a love and a desire for the body and for what it's doing, it, it instills in us a desire to want to be here and, and enough to give our lives, you know, like as, as a job to being here, working around the clock with the body. And so that's kind of what we're getting at is, is not trying to make a legalistic argument as much as at the heart of everything, at, at the core of us, is our desire to be here. And are we hurting that we're not able to be together? Because that's what we want to give to, to everybody listening and everybody who comes into our church is we want to instill in them a love for the church that we have that, that we want you to have as well. And I, I think I think I can speak for the three of us here uh, at this one point. I hope that I can. And and if what I say does not apply to either of you two guys, don't tell me because that will come out in your evaluation <laughs> come uh, August. Um, he, here's the thing: I, I think for each of us, that if something happened tomorrow and the church could no longer afford to pay us, we would. St- still go to church. We would still be there every Sunday. Um, Don't get any ideas, folks, all right? (laughs) But I I feel like that, that, and if it wasn't here, it would be somewhere. We would find a way to serve. We would find a way to be there. And and we would want to do it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. 
And that's the heart of, of Christianity. There's a desire to be together with brothers and sisters in Christ. You go to China and you, you talk to the people who are part of the underground church. You go to the, so, the former Soviet Union, people who are part of the underground church. That's one of the greatest blessings they have are those moments when they can come together as the body of Christ. And we take that so for granted in our, our society. Absolutely, and I think, you know, just as we were, just as we see in the story, and now we're called either, you know, either be for God or be against Him. There's no in between, um, and so you gave us some some four challenges that really kind of, if we're going to be for God, like let's do these things. So you talked about not being victims, um, which I think a lot of kind of what we hit on just now. We're talking about that idea of. Because it can be very easy to to say, well, well, I would be there, but these things aren't happening, or I don't think this is right, and all you know, all those things, and kind of get into that victim perspective. Um, but I really want to take a moment on your second point that that outward focus instead of our inward. Um, and then you said that phrase that I don't really like because it doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy. It's it's not all about me. Is that yeah. Yeah, we we live <laughs> we live in in a um, it's all about me culture. And, I mean, that's just the way it is here in America uh, for some reason. And you see that in in what's going on in Seattle and Portland. You see it in what happened in the larger cities uh, around the country. Uh, it's all about me. And, and folks, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I believe in in the right for people to to gather and protest. But when that turned into throwing rocks, when it turned into breaking windows, when it turned into looting, all of a sudden it wasn't about a protest. It was about what can I get out of this? What what can I what what's in this for me? And, and sadly, we've allowed that same mentality to come into the church, so that what we want is a worship service that's about me. What we want is a ministry that's about me. We want our kind of music. We want just the, the perfect temperature. I mean, you know, if the temperature is not exactly 70 degrees, I am just miserable, and I'm not going to be able to worship that day. If the, the sound system is too loud or if it's not loud enough, I'm not going to be able to worship that day. And, and we forget about the fact that when we come together to worship, it's not about us. It's about God. It's about praising Him and, and letting Him speak to our hearts. Ministry the same way. Uh, we, we've got to get ourselves out of the way and stop making ourselves the focus of ministry and recognize that, that Jesus took those 12 and he fed into them, but he also sent them out to feed into others. And that's what we've got to do. And, and that's one of the things that I, I love about when we look at, at missions and when we look at mission trips and, and going and being on the mission field, even if it's you know, for a week or a weekend, one of the, the the coolest experiences to me is always, you know, depending on on when you go on the trip, you know, the first of the week, the last of the week, midweek, whatever, seeing how people in other countries or even just in other cultures are doing church is always one of the most eye-opening things to me um, about going on these trips is we 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 think that that church has to look like what we've always known church to look like, but but there are people all over the world, even even in our country, who church to them looks like folding chairs in a basement or an attic of a restaurant. You know, like church looks so different. It doesn't always look exactly how we think it should look, and that doesn't make it any less of a church. Now, I mean, we can we can sit here and do all of this this work and, and spend this money to get better production and, and new lights and all that stuff, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But but church can exist without all of these comforts. And, and you talking about you know one of the things that you said that got me thinking. You just mentioned it's not the right temperature. That was one of the things that we were talking about yesterday. Um, like I, I sat down and not that I'm going to leave church because of it, but I sat down. And I was like, man. It's warming. It's a little warm in here today, man. It's not going to be as fun wearing a mask in here today with it being warmer. <laughs> but like, but honestly, those are some of the things that we think about, yeah. right? And okay. we think about like, oh, well, uh, I just I'm not really a fan of that one, and so I'm either not going to go, or we'll, we'll also, if we're not careful, we'll start getting into this mentality of like church shopping, 
um, mm-hmm. is what, what Hannah and I tend to refer to it as. Like, well, we're going to go and try this church and see how it is. You know, we're going to we're going to ta- you know taste test the, the the communion wafers and see if they're as good as this other church. We're <laughs> gonna, we're going to try the music at this church because we like it better. And, and I feel like if we're not careful, that's one of the things that we're going to run into now is yeah. especially in a Netflix age where church is kind of becoming Netflix. If you know, you might you might click over here and and listen to the worship at this church because you like their worship better, and but you like this pastor better, so you're going to click over and listen to their sermon. And, and and I fear if we're not careful, that will start to become more of a pervasive, you know, attitude towards church. That like like you always talk about Forrest, the the idea of like an a la carte church, you know. But but church isn't necessarily a la carte because for church to be a la carte, it puts us in the focal point of yeah. the entire thing. Yeah. 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 And I think that's the thing, you know, a lot of kind of the, the, I mean, I'll admit, I, I watch a lot of preachers and things that aren't here. Um, but the ones I respect the most are the guys who always put the disclaimer. They're like, listen, if you want to listen to my sermons online or whatever, that's fine. This is not to take the place of you being in a local gathering with people being in church, warts and all. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we so often are chasing this perfect, oh, if I find the perfect church with perfect people and, you know, sunshine and roses, it, it doesn't exist. No matter how much, if you found that unicorn church that you lines up with everything you love and you think it's perfect, I guarantee you go there and you're going to find out that it's people with issues and it's not going to be perfect because we're imperfect people worshiping a perfect God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we have finally reached a point in, in our world where you could live your life without ever having any human contact. You can order your groceries online, and the UPS man will leave them on your front door. You can uh, watch whatever you want to worship-wise. You know, you don't have to talk to anybody. You won't put gas in your car. Drive to the gas station and use self-pay. You know, you never have to talk to anybody. But God created us to be in relationship not only with Him but with each other. And what happens is that Satan perverts that, and he causes us to say, "Well, I'm just a, I'm just a, a lone wolf. I'm just a, um, I, I enjoy my own company kind of thing." Well, that's not the way God created us to be, and, and we've got to learn that that we are better together. Then we are separate. And I think, and this is, again, just kind of thinking out loud, but looking at the story um, of Elijah, you look at that and say, if you look at that whole kind of arc here, we have this moment where it's this, uh, this great victory because he's standing for God, he's doing the right thing. But, that loneliness is going to be a problem here in a minute when a little further in the story, he's running for his life basically because they're after him. And that's when he gets in the despair of, you know, they're going to kill me. The world's against me. Everything's bad. Where if he was in a band of warriors, that probably wouldn't have looked the same way, you know, and that's not, I don't think that's the, the spiritual takeaway of that story is you should always be with other people, but I can't help but think because that's, always stands out to me in the story of Elijah is how high his high is and how quickly it goes to the lowest of lows Um, and how much we're all susceptible to that, that we can have a great spiritual victory and in the blink of an eye be back in the depths of despair if we're just kind of doing our own thing. Um, Yeah, I think one thing, you know, and kind of reinforcing this idea, it's not about us. I've been in many churches in my almost 40 years of life. Um, and a lot of them that I could point to some pretty particular things that I'm like, I really did not like this. And I really don't think that was the way church should be ran or whatever. And yet in those churches, I've learned so much from so many different people. Um, and even people that maybe we didn't agree on all these, on different issues, working through that and kind of coming to realize what are the things that really matter? What is it that defines a church? You know, and and you're not going to get that if, um, Maybe you're one of those people that says, "Well, I had a bad experience at church, and so we're just gonna we're gonna do home church, and we're just gonna pull out. We're, we'll do our own thing. We can do everything at home just as well as we could. Me and my family, we're gonna have our own little, you know, 
First Baptist Jones, not Jonesville. Uh, Jones, uh, <laughs> dang, the last name Jones messes everything up. Um, <laughs> First Baptist, the couch. And uh, we're going to sit here all the time. The problem is, like you said, we're not called to live our lives that way. Yeah. And we just have our own little bubble that is not honoring God because God tells us that we are to worship together and that we're to do it for his glory. Um, and it's not about us. Uh, and then real quick before we, we've gone a little long, but uh, I want to talk about your third point about making an eternal investment versus a temporary one. Um, so investments, is that, we're just talking about money? Is that? No. In fact, that's one of the points I made yesterday is this, this is not about money at all. I, I, you know, I think it's important that we understand the right relationship with money. But the, the truth is the, the eternal investments we make are in the people. Just, just like we're talking about you can't live life in isolation. What we're called to do is invest who we are into other people. That's, that's what being a disciple maker is. It's divest, investing who we are into other people, teaching them what we know, teaching them how we feel, teaching them what we believe. And, and that's what God has called us to do. We have got to, to be about the Father's business, stop doing our business our way and start doing God's business God's way and, and raise up a new generation. And I'm not talking about just children, but the next generation of believers. And your next generation of believers could be an 80-year-old man. I'm going to, to, to be doing a funeral this Thursday in South Alabama of a man that I baptized when he was in his 60s. And, and he became the next generation believer. And, and so you may have that privilege. You've got to invest in them to, to grow them, to teach them the Word, teach them how to study the Word and teach them what it means to make disciples. Yeah, I think that that phrase that you ended with is make disciples yeah. is so crucial there because I, I think a lot of times we, we can kind of fall into this, this mm-hmm. idea that discipleship means we give them a track, we, we walk them through the Roman road, whatever, we you know tell them about their sins, we give them the ABCs, whatever, any of these tools that, that we have, and, and that is discipleship, but... But discipleship is really training people up to take on this and be, like you said, the new generation. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just something we're not called just to, you know, pound people on the forehead with a Bible, tell them Jesus loves them, and send them on their way. But, but really to disciple people, um, making disciples, because discipleship in and of itself has to be multiplication based for it to really be discipleship. We. We that I, I feel like that's one of the the problems that that we have that kind of ties back into everything that we have. It all the problems we've talked about in this podcast is how many of the issues that we see in our churches today spawn. I mean, Forrest, you and I were talking about this earlier today. How how much of that spawns from a lack of discipleship that has been done for the current you know generation of believers? You know, have we really? As a, as a church and as, as believers, how have we been doing discipling? And, and I think that that's something that, I mean, everyone, you know, top down has to ask ourselves. You know, even us as ministry staff, we have to, you know, we have to sit there every day and ask ourselves, how are we doing with discipling people who God has put around us? And how are we as believers taking the people who God has entrusted to our lives, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, how are we doing with discipling them as far as, you know, telling them about Jesus, but also setting a precedence for what a Christian life looks like. And I wonder how much of, of like I said, our, our problems, especially when we look at, you know, our casual view of church, how much of that is we have discipled people to view church as optional, mm-hmm. and how can we now kind of take that baton that's been passed to us and say, hey, we may have been discipled this way, but we can disciple in a right way. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that we've got to be aware of is the idea that if we're those more mature Christians, then we need to be looking for opportunities. We kind of can can fall back and, and rest on this idea of like, well, you know, yeah, if I had if I had a Timothy in my life, I, I'd disciple him. Well, yeah, but here's the thing. Are you going out and trying to find someone to disciple? Or, you know, that, that 
eternal investment is your time is going to be one of the biggest things you can give. That's probably the thing, even more than money, that we all struggle with the most is trying to feel like we need more time in the day. But if you take that, because discipling, it's not a weekend event. It's not a program so much. It's a walking alongside someone, and it takes time. Um, And and I'm – my personality especially – I like microwave results. I'm I'm very much a microwave kind of guy. Let's yeah. let's get real excited about this and let's get it done quick. And that's not discipleship. And and I've had to come to that realization myself of going like, this is slow and steady. Let's just live life and show them how to work, you know, how to how to live the Christian life. Um, and that, but that takes us kind of recognizing people, or or maybe when someone makes a decision and saying, hey. Can we, can we do this together? Let me let me invest in you, um, and, and us live life together. And so it's not always, you know, if you hear us saying like, oh, we need to start a new program or something like that. No, this is something you could do, and we as the pastors may never know about unless you came to us and said, hey, can I get a resource on this? And we'd, hey, we can help point you in the right direction. Um, but there's probably people at your work, people that you know, your neighbors. Um, you know, these would be the people just start with, Hey, can we go get some coffee? Can we, mm-hmm. let me buy you lunch. I mean, a lot can be done by buying lunch. Yeah. You know, that's why I'm Baptist. I believe in the spiritual power of a casserole. Um, but again, it's, it's all in that making that investment. You, you, you touched on earlier, just the, the Mormons and the way that, you know, they wake their kids up for, um, they call it seminary and it's like 6 a.m., a couple of mornings every week because they want to make sure their children have this, um, their, their beliefs in, embedded. Um, and we just got to realize that we're, we've got to prioritize what we want to teach our children, what we want to pass on to the next generation. I think it's a great point that the next generation does not have to be age wise, right? you know, and that um, a person who gets saved at 60 years old can do amazing things for the kingdom. Yep. Um, and who knows that, the impact that could have because you pass that on to the next generation who may have even been older than you, you know? Um, All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have for the deep discussion. We do have enough time for one question though. So, well, Uh, while Zach is pulling the question out of the box of, uh, what do we call this? The box box, of randomness. I think. Uh, Forest. What will you be preaching on next Sunday? <laughs> well, hit us with it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're going to talk about um, kind of the idea of judging a book by its cover and uh, what that looks like when you look at things through God's eyes versus man's eyes. So that, that, that's what we're going to talk about this Sunday. I don't know how this uh, podcasting hosting is going to go next week when I. <laughs> We'll have to do my own talking. <laughs> All right. What what, All what question right. we got this week? Um, so, would you rather eat only homemade bread for over a year or eat only vegetables and fruit for the foreseeable future? Wait. Okay. Let me, let me get a clarification here from the judges. <clears throat> is this only homemade bread in place of store-bought bread or is this... Only homemade bread is the only food you will take into your body. No, eat only homemade bread for over a year. So, so all you can eat for a year is homemade bread. Or would you rather only eat fruits and vegetables for the rest of your life for the for the foreseeable future? Well, I, I'm going to go with fruits and vegetables just because you can have a variety of flavors in that. So. I would go with bread for the same reason because so while Hannah has been out for the summer, she has decided to take up a lot of like baking um, adventures. And so we have had so many different kinds of banana breads and sweet breads and all this stuff that's been coming out. And I could get behind that for a year. Um, Because I'm also the kind of person who's really picky. And so, like, I love fruit. And there are some vegetables I like. 
but it it would get it would get old eating that for the rest of my life. Plus, coming from me it is a little different because I mean, not to pull that card, but my next foreseeable future. I mean, that's, that's a little bit longer than some other people in the room. So, so I, I'm, I'm just going to go with that one. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to pick bread. Okay. Well, you know, that bread that you're talking about does sound delicious. Mm-hmm. Brother Ben, being like his closest neighbor, did you receive a bunch of loaves of this bread on your front I, door? I did not. It's odd. I did not. It just seems like the neighborly thing to do no. would have been to drop off yeah. some of said delicious banana nut bread. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. Ask Courtney and Kevin. They, they had some. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Well, that, that would be the neighbors you had to go past our wow. houses to get to. Man. Uh, we'll y'all have, we'll y'all get have, y'all next round. Y'all have, y'all have presented very uh, – <laughs> I, I was going with the fruits and veggies, but you do have a convincing argument about the uh, banana nut bread. Well, quick banana quick story. Bread. Quick story. Mm-hmm. Back in the old days, you know, that the punishment for prisoners was bread and water, Right. Here's the thing. It was not just so that they only ate bread. Bread tends to have an effect on other systems in our body that became a punishment towards those prisoners. So we won't go into detail about that, but you can look that up. Google it. Oh. Uh, well, I guess you've swayed me back to the fruits, <laughs> fruits and veggies argument. Uh That'd be my regular diet. Um, okay, well, we have explored dietary restrictions, bread, the lack of hospitality from some neighbors, and a lot of other issues today. I hope you've enjoyed it. We look forward to seeing you again next week. on now this is number 12 we ought to be over this i know but but it makes it worse when y'all like i look up and y'all look y'all like waiting for it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, don't don't look at force exactly that should not be that hard it's like a train wreck you can't look away i guess making him laugh on the podcast is the best part about mondays (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i don't know why people are always complaining about him i have great mondays Welcome. This is the pastor's chat. <laughs> uh, we, we we need to video this and then do the outtakes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>